Welcome back to Bucketheads, Lane Grant Hoyland's college basketball podcast that started as strictly Ohio State hoops, but has quickly evolved to cover some other topics, such as the St. John's Red Storm, who are playing right now and, and losing to St. Francis, the Big Ten Conference in general, conference realignment, and coaches who just can't keep their junk in their pants. If you're interested in that last one, go back and listen to episode 10. I'm joined by my lovely co-host and Eugene Brown's number one fan, Justin Golba. Justin, how are you doing this week, and uh, do you have any big Thanksgiving plans? I don't. I'm actually not even going home or anything. I have to work through the holiday, so um, yeah, that's why they pay us high school sports supporters the big bucks. Wait, is your family in Northeast Ohio, or is your family still out of state? Uh, my family is about two hours away, but I have to work Wednesday evening and Friday morning, so it's just too much driving for me. So you're just going to have Taco Bell, probably? Yeah, I'm just going to door dash myself a Thanksgiving meal and call it a day. Absolutely atrocious. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover today since we last talked about Ohio State. Uh, they lost to Xavier on the road. That was a tough one. Then they beat Seton Hall in the Fort Myers tip-off. And by the time this podcast episode comes out, um, they will have also played the Florida Gators and the Duke Blue Devils by this time next week. Um, the Florida game is not on until pretty late Wednesday night, so we're not going to have time to get on and like recap that. So we'll just kind of preview that. And by the time this comes out, um, you'll already have your Florida result. Yeah, and you know, um, this was we knew this was a big week going in for Ohio State uh, with Xavier, Seton Hall, Florida, and then you know down the road uh, next week they play Duke, which we'll get into. But um, you know, we we knew uh, we knew the Xavier game was going to be kind of a uh, maybe a little bit of a uh, barometer for where they were and it was a bad barometer and then they played Seton Hall and that was a good barometer so you know it's, it was kind of a tale of two games for them um, you know I, I know when it comes to the Xavier game it kind of seemed like they just got in that hole early and they just could not bounce out of it they you know they, they trailed by nine at the half they I think they outplayed them in the second half they just couldn't quite it felt like the lead the Xavier lead just stayed at five to nine points pretty much the entire way they just couldn't quite quite nail into it and get you know the goal is to get it to even right that's all your goal is when when you're down by whatever many points just get the game to even and then go from there they just couldn't quite do that um and then Seton Hall was the complete opposite they pretty much from the time the lights went out they were down 24 19 from there on they pretty much led the entire way Seton Hall did come back and make it a game as anybody expected them to do but um, it was kind of an interesting flip there as, as, you know, they played kind of a tale of two games. And, um, you know, Seton Hall, I think, is a better team than Xavier. So, it, you know, it, it, did, it also goes without saying that game was definitely impacted by Miles Kale going out early and not playing. Uh, Seton Hall is one of their one of their best players. But um, still, Ohio State had to go out and win the game, and they did. Yeah, Ohio State did outscore Xavier in the second half of that game. So you were correct that, you know, they did – pretty much outplay them in the second half um honestly like i only say this because holtman said it too he he used the word toughness i would he said lack toughness i would say that they were soft like ohio state you know and and jardy called it a buzzsaw which is also a good description of it um i kind of had that vibe and when we were talking about this last week i did not feel super great about ohio state going to xavier 
we talked about how if Ohio State beat Xavier, that would probably set them up to win the um, the the Gavit games, which is exactly the situation that it came down to. Was that if Ohio State, um, you know, if Ohio State and Rutgers won their games, then the Big Ten wins the Gavit games. Well, Ohio State lost to Xavier, so that was gone. Then Rutgers ended up losing too. I'm pretty sure. Um, I just thought they looked soft. I thought that Xavier looked like the better team, the tougher team. And what Travis Steele said was um, he told his team, we need to basically want the ball more than them. We need to value the ball more than them. We need to want to have the ball in our hands more than them. That basketball is so valuable and it needs to be in our hands at all times. Um, they just Xavier just looked like a tougher team, the the tougher, stronger, grittier team. And Ohio State just looked soft. I thought, and you had a couple guys that just disappeared in in the Xavier game, which a few of those guys played much better in the Seton Hall game. But like Justin Arns disappeared in the Xavier game, Zed Key disappeared in the Xavier game, and, and that that can't happen. Yeah, and we've talked about Arns a lot, and we'll get into you know his Seton Hall game because it was kind of the the absolute opposite of what sometimes you get from him. Because like you said, he has a knack for just simply disappearing sometimes. And it's it's hard because he's he truly is one of the best shooters in the country. But when you're just kind of hiding him in the corner or running him off ball screens as a decoy, he doesn't do anything because teams catch on to that. And then you kind of when, – when you take out Arns and you take out um, a Eugene Brown who got hurt, he only played about 10 minutes. I mean, your real only scores on that team left are Liddell – maybe Malachi Branham when he's feeling comfortable, and maybe Michi Johnson. I don't really consider Kyle Young a scorer. He'll get you some points, but I don't know how much of a scorer he is. And Jamar Wheeler, kind of the same thing. He can, he, And he played – I think Jamar Wheeler had a great Xavier game. Um, I think he was one of the few bright spots. He had 6-6-5. Six, six, and five. He had two steals. He had two turnovers, but I think he was one of the better – he played 36 minutes. Um, but in general, you know, Arns only played 15 Zed Key only played 17. He had he only had two rebounds. I mean, when Colby Jones is out here getting 12 rebounds, Jack Nungy had the best game of his career, 14 and 14 and three steals. You know, Zed Key having two rebounds just is absolutely not going to get the job done. And um, that was kind of the issue they ran into was they just they got out rebounded, they got out physical. In the second half, it was a little different, but you know we, we've seen this before with this team when they get down early, they just don't have the firepower to get back into it like that. And that's kind of where you miss a Dwayne Washington who can get you eight, eight to ten quick points. They don't have that guy this year, so they need to get out to these early leads, play well, don't turn the ball over, play consistent, play comfortable, and play within themselves, and then get these early leads. And then it's much easier for a team like this to maintain rather than try to chase from behind. Yeah, they were out-rebounded by eight, 43-35. They let... 43 is a lot of rebounds. Yes, Xavier had 16 offensive rebounds. and that's they a lot had. Too. That is a ton of offensive rebounds. Jack Nungy, I believe, had uh, he Nungy and had, Jones had twelve combined. They both had okay, six. Okay, then yes, then Nungy had six. I was gonna say I thought he had eight. So Nungy had six. Colby Jones had six. Colby Jones is not a huge guy. Like no. he's a he's a wing, but he's not massive by any means. Nungy's a pretty huge guy. And I'll tap my chest and call that one. I was wrong about Nungy. We were kind of talking shit a little about about Nungy about how we thought that Zed Key was like okay, like he should be able to handle Jack Nungy. I didn't know that Jack Nungy was apparently an elite, like just an elite player all of a sudden. Uh, Cause well, he went well, for like, he went for 14 and 14 and was just 
just back-breaking offensive rebound after back-breaking offensive rebound. And that is just exhausting. When you're trailing in a game and you get a stop and then they get the ball back and then you stop them again and they just keep getting their own putbacks, that's like that's a backbreaker. Well, the biggest moment in that game happened with, I think it was like two and a half minutes left, and they had just cut the lead down to two. It was a two-point game, and then I think it was Nate Johnson just walked up the court and stepped into a three and made it a five-point game. And it was kind of like, it was a bad shot, but he made it. And it was just kind of the the culmination. That, it was a good way to explain the entire game with one play, where it was like, how, like, it shouldn't have gone in, but it did. Plus, you know, like I said, he just kind of walked into it. It was just one of those, like, oh, great. And right when you get, and I mean, they literally had just got it to two points. You know, you get a stop, you get the ball back, you can, like I said, get this thing back to even. Then you give up a three-pointer right there. And then I think they turned the ball over on the next drive. I think that was when Michi Johnson tried to kind of – he went to the lane a little bit out of control and, and lost the ball. So it was just kind of like – you If you're if you're thinking in the, in, towards the second half, you might be thinking of, of uh, after Eugene Brown went out, there was a, a series of like things that happened there were basically um, – because I just pulled up the recap from that game just because I remember writing something about Nate Johnson hitting a big three. It was when Eugene Brown got ripped down, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and fouled, right around that time. and he is a pretty he's a pretty good free throw shooter, but he is yeah. Now but they had to put in Zed Key, yeah. They had to put in Zed yeah, Key. So the other it. team's coach gets to pick the free throw shooter, so he picks which is Zed still Key. a very strange rule to me, by the way. That if you can like they clearly hurt Eugene Brown, like Kunkel played was playing defensive lineman for some reason, and then you can he leaves the game and you can pick. I feel like that should be the offense's pick, but whatever. That's just a rule. right. Cool. So they so I'm Eugene watching. Brown gets injured on the rebound. He needs to shoot a free throw, but he can't shoot a free throw because he's concussed and his brain was sloshing around like whatever in his head. So he's out of the game. They pick Zed Key to shoot the free throws because he's not a good free throw shooter. So he misses the free throw and then Nate Johnson hits a three. So instead of getting potentially two points mm-hmm. from Zed Key, you get three points for Nate Johnson. So that's a five point swing. Yeah, that was to me that was the biggest that was the biggest outside of the Paul Scruggs posterizing EJ Liddell. I didn't think that was a, a huge moment in the game in terms of just score because that was just a bigger moment in terms of momentum. But in terms of just strictly score and what could have been, that was the big, the, Nate, the Zed Key missed free throw to Nate Johnson immediate three was the biggest play of the game to me. But Scruggs definitely yeah. found his footing. Suffice to say, that's, when, game. that's kind of what I thought it was going to get out of the out of the, like get out of hand too. But then uh, towards the second half, man, they just every time. Every time I thought it was over, they'd pull you back in. Then Michi would score five straight, get him back within three. But then you're right, correct. Paul Scruggs had the huge dunk, which put him down five with like 30 seconds to go or something. But I believe even after that dunk, they cut it back. Didn't they cut it, it back down. to three again or cut well, it to it, two? Yeah, he hit a uh, he that dunk made it a five point game, and then Liddell hit a three with about 25 seconds left and made it a two point game. But then they fouled Scruggs, who's a 91 percent free throw shooter. So he made both. And then from there, you know, it's just kind of forced up a shot. And, yeah. And that was that. I mean, it's, 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 it, was a, it was a good fight from them to try to fight back in that. It's, I also um, do want to point out real quick, Xavier went on two days ago to beat Norfolk State by 45 points. Norfolk State last year, if you remember, was a tournament team. Now, they did lose a couple pieces and they're not a tournament team this year. But to play a tournament team like that and beat them by 45, I think Xavier is a little better than we're giving credit. I, I don't think that Xavier is a better team than Ohio State. I, I do think that Seton Hall might be a, a better team than Ohio State. Um, I thought that going into this little tournament that Seton Hall 
might be a more talented team than Ohio State. Well, we're also – I think Seton Hall really turned some heads with the Michigan win, but then Michigan turned around and lost to Arizona by 15, by 18 points. So I'm starting to think maybe Michigan is just the issue here. And, and Seton Hall is a good team, don't get me wrong. Jared Rodan's an unbelievable scorer. Like I said, Miles Kale would have really affected that game in a big way if he didn't get hurt. They got some size. They're well coached. They play great defense. They're a good team. But um, I, th- I think maybe the Michigan – I'm curious to see where Michigan goes from here because – you know, that Seton Hall win looked really good. Oh, my God, they beat a top-five Michigan team. And then Michigan went and absolutely dropped an egg against Arizona, who, again, is a better team. Than they're getting credit, but they lost by 18. I mean, they got blown off the court. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where the Seton Hall kind of goes from here. They'll beat Cal on Wednesday. And I know if you're listening to this, they probably already beat Cal. They'll kill Cal. Cal's terrible. Um, so then we'll see where they go from there. Um, I mean, Bryce Aiken is another guy on their team that I don't know if you yeah. – how much you know about him but he played at harvard with seth pounds another another all conference ivy league guy averaged 23 points per game in the ivy league a few years ago like he's a stud and if we've learned anything Mm -hmm. about the ncaa tournament it's that good guard play can carry you as as we learned in the big 10 tournament having a good guard that can get you a bucket will can carry you all by themselves and Having Bryce Aiken and Jared Roden, I think that Seton Hall is a really, really good team. Um, you know, I thought that Ohio State, when they lost to Xavier, I was kind of concerned that, you know, this this might become a string of a few losses because I was not super confident that they were going to beat Seton Hall without Justice Suing and without Eugene Brown there. And after seeing, you know, the Seton Hall just beat Michigan. Yeah, the only thing that I was confident about was if they did lose to Seton Hall, they would have played Cal. Like I said, they would have killed Cal. So it wouldn't have really turned into too much of a huge downslope, I guess you'd call it. But um, oh, I thought Jamari Wheeler did a great job on Bryce Aiken. He had 16 points. He was 5 for 10. But he had a couple of contested jumpers. He got five of those points at the free throw line on a couple shaky foul calls, to say the least. So, you know, I, I thought Jamari Wheeler was all over him. He made him frustrated a couple of times. Uh, it was, uh, Jamari Wheeler has been a lot of fun to watch. I think he's getting a little bit too much heat from some of the fan base on because he's not really scoring, but that's not what they brought him in here to do. You're, you're right. I don't think that people, myself included, um, I, I don't think myself included, but a lot of fans, I don't think totally predicted or understood the change, the, the difference of, of player that CJ Walker and, and, and Jamari Wheeler are um, like CJ Walker. Having a, having a hard time explaining this. Jamari Wheeler is a floor general, but if you watch, if you watch, he will give the ball over to Michi to bring the ball up sometimes. He'll give the ball over to Malachi Branham. Like he is a floor general. He is a facilitator. Not to the level that CJ Walker was, though. Like when CJ Walker was on the floor, like that's PG1. Like that is your point guard. And he yeah. also CJ Walker had some like 20 point games. Like if CJ Walker saw that the offense was stagnant. CJ Walker could dribble into the elbow and shoot right around the free throw line and get some baskets himself. Um, Jamari Wheeler's never going to do that. No, Walker will go get his shot, um, make it great shots, make some stuff happen. You know, he has that turnaround jumper in the lane that he likes to do. He had a mid range game. Jamari Wheeler can shoot, but it's just if he catches the ball and he's open, he's not going to go get his shot. If you want to think of a better comparison, um, and Ohio State fans aren't going to like to hear this because he's. He's a god in Ohio State, but it's Aaron Kraft. You know, I mean, he's it's it, he's a defensive stopper. That's what he is. 
he's not as good of a defender as Aaron Craft is. I'll obviously say that. But, you know, Aaron Craft probably not going to go immensely get his own shot. He was kind of more just facilitating for the guys around him. Yes, there were games he'd have 8 to 10 points, maybe even 12, because it just how the cookie crumbled. But um, he's a defensive – he's on the he's on the floor for the defensive end of the ball, and that's what Wheeler brings to you. And Wheeler had a huge, huge steal on Bryce Aiken with like three minutes left in that game that uh, they end up getting a bucket from. So, you know, those are the kind of things you get from Wheeler. And like I said, his Xavier stat line is exactly what they need from him. Six, five, five, and two. That's, I mean, if he can get six points from him, five rebounds, five assists, and two steals, and he does it, and the other guard has a trouble all game, he, he's doing his job. And Paul Scruggs was five for 14 for the game. Paul Scruggs had a tough game. He just stepped it up in the last minute uh, as, as great players do. But, Jamari Wheeler had a fantastic Xavier game, and he played great against Seton Hall, too. And like I said, against Xavier, he played 35 minutes. You know, that can't be overstated. It, it might be less about Jamari Wheeler and more about C.J. Walker, honestly. Like like a lot of people maybe didn't appreciate and realize how good of an offensive player he was. Oh, no even doubt. Though he's, that, that, like, he was a, he was a smaller – I mean, he's about Jamari Wheeler's size. He may not even have been as tall as Jamari Wheeler. Like, he's not a big guy, but, like, he was a uh, he was quick – uh, he was shifty. He'd get to the basket, even though he was not a big guy. I don't think that many fans realized how, you know, he wasn't an elite offensive player or anything shooting the ball, but like he could score. And no, Jamari yeah, Wheeler Walker was very underappreciated when he was. Absolutely. And not that Jamari Wheeler's not talented, but like, you know, you see if he gets the ball at the top of the key and he's open from three, most of the time he's not, he's not even going to shoot. Like even if he's wide open, he's not even shooting because he's looking to, to pass and to facilitate or CJ Walker, CJ Walker would just hoist that bitch. He's just like, that's a bucket for me. Cause he, he was like, he would, he was a dog. He would go out and hunt his shot. Jamari Wheeler is not that guy. So it's almost like offense is going four on five with him on the floor. Cause he's, even when he's open, he's, he's looking to facilitate. Yeah. I mean, Jamari Wheeler for his career is a four points per game guy. Um, now, also, he's a, he's a 32% free throw shoot, uh, three-point shooter, so that's not like horrible. 40, I mean, that, that's, close to 40% last season. Yeah, so it's he's something he's gotten better at. It's something he's done – he's obviously worked on. And it's I mean, he had a huge three in the Xavier game, huge three um, to, from the corner. I think that was Xavier game. Yeah, it was Xavier game. So, I mean, he, he is a guy – but, again, he's a two-time All-Big Ten defensive guy. Uh, he was Defensive Player of the Year last year. Like, that's just – that's what he is. And it's – I really – we're kind of seeing it with Michi. I really wish – this was part of the reason I wish Dwayne Washington came back just because he's talented, but also I think Jamari Wheel and Dwayne Washington would have worked really, really well. Um, but, you know, I th- we're also starting to see it with Michi and Malachi. They're just young, you know, and they're, and they're coming into their own, and I think Jamari Wheel will help them do that. But um, it will be interesting to see kind of going forward. The Duke game will be a, a, a very good barometer for, for this guy, for this team. And, and, and yeah, I th- yeah, that is going to be – I think that – Oh, that that could be that could be ugly, but I think just to <clears throat> excuse me, just to uh, kind of put a bow on the Seton Hall, I think that they looked tougher. They were grittier. They were tougher. There was way more effort. You saw guys clapping in each other's faces. You saw teammates yelling at each other, like in support, like getting pumped up, clapping. You saw guys with their hands in the air. You saw EJ Liddell doing like the raise the roof thing when he dunked it. Like they were they're showing showing more emotion showing a lot more effort, playing harder. Um, and isn't basketball more fun when you're the underdog anyway? Um, maybe to get maybe to get that, that AP poll number off of their name and to get the target off their bat, back for a little bit is going to be a good thing. 
it, it's, a lot of these games are going to be like this too. You know, they're going to have to be creative and tough out some wins. They talk about how old this team is, but when two of your oldest guys and Seth Towns and Justice Suing are hurt, and two yeah, of your other old guys, old. two of your other older guys, Cedric Russell and Jimmy Sotos, really are not used that much. Jimmy Sotos was used more in this game, but they're really not used that much. And those minutes are going to the young guards like Michi and Malachi Branham. Um, it's going to be a fun, frustrating team to watch if those are your your guys that you're leaning on. You know, you're going to have games like this where Michi hits a big shot and you're like, man, he's good. But if he had missed that shot in Ohio shot. and Ohio state had lost in overtime, then you're saying, man, you know, they're really, you know, really using those young guards a lot. So if they're going to be a fun and frustrating team to watch, if those are the guys that they're giving minutes to. Well, and this is exactly what Holtman said at the post game uh, conference when he was talking to the FS1 guys, he was like, yeah, we expected him to drive the ball, but you know, sometimes the, the ball goes in. So, um, you know, it, it's, you know, Justin Orange looked way more confident and way more like he, he was looking for his shot, which – and that's what a lot of people kind of if – you, if you follow, like, Ohio State basketball fans on Twitter, a lot of them, they kind of, like, blame Holtman for for Orange's lack of shooting because they don't get him open enough. And uh, granted, they definitely could get him open more. But there's times where Orange just does – he just refuses to shoot. And um, that was not the case against Seton Hall. He was five for eight from three. He shot a couple times, or even I was like, "Oh, wow, okay." But I'm cool with him shooting the ball pretty much anytime he touches it, especially when he's feeling like he was last game. And and this was really the first time EJ Liddell that when they really, really started to kind of try to shut him down because yeah, I mean, it's 16 in the first half, and then most of his second half points came from the free throw line um, where other guys stepped up. Michi Johnson had a couple big shots. Kyle Young was just pure Kyle Young yesterday, just doing stuff I can't even believe he's doing. Justin Orange had 17. Jimmy Soto's had a couple big shots. You know, like everybody kind of stepped up for once and kind of was able to play that role. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this, where the Jimmy Soto's minutes go, if this was basically just him replacing Eugene Brown for now, um, if this was just because, you know, he played 18, he played almost 19 minutes. He played more minutes than Malachi Branham did. Uh, but I don't, probably foresee that going forward i would like to see him play more minutes because he played well i mean i think you could very much argue he turned the tide of that game a little bit so it'll be interesting to see kind of where his minutes go because as you said going into this game i don't even i wouldn't have even considered him part of the rotation um but you know some people get hurt and particularly eugene brown a guard and those minutes clearly went to soto's over russell and yeah you know we watched russell for five minutes out there he doesn't look comfortable yet at all even at three, he shot. He was wide open, and he just – it didn't look like he put a good stroke on it at all. Didn't even get close. So I I don't think he's that comfortable right now. But uh, Soto's looked really good, you know, he, and he looked really good on the defensive end of the ball. I like a lineup of Soto's and Wheeler because it's two super seniors. It's two guys who have been around the block. That's two guys who will not turn the ball over late. You know, you can kind of trust them. Obviously, they're not as fun as Michi and Malachi are, but that's kind of like your old steady hands there. Um, and then, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Um, what was going to say about Soto? Soto's, it's a very limit. I will say this also, if Soto's and Wheeler on the floor together, you can't do too much because it's extremely limited offensively. But, um, when you just need to not turn the ball over and play some good defense, that's your, that that's your best bet. Yeah. Soto's had some, had some really big minutes there to, to calm them down. He had a couple baskets. I think he might have had like five points, maybe six points. 
That's um, what it was. He felt like a calming factor every time he stepped on the court. And that's what, Holtman times... said in the pre- that's what Holtman said in the press conference, too. And he mm-hmm. actually he said, I should have used him more in the Xavier game. He said, I should have played Jimmy more, which that's something that you're very rarely going to hear a coach say is, I like tap my chest. That's my bad. I should be playing this guy more. Um, that's why we like that's why we like Holtman because he can say that. So you know he's going to pick up probably some some minutes off of Branham and off of of Michi Johnson. Um, we'll see. Do we know how long moving. Brown is out? Do we know? I haven't looked. You don't. Up. You don't know with concussions. Usually with concussions, um, in any sport, football, basketball, it ends up being like a week or two. So mm. he's not. We know that he's not going to be playing against Florida. Yeah, he didn't travel um, with them. Which makes sense if he has a concussion. Probably not the best idea to hop correct. on a plane. I don't like flying on planes even when I don't have a concussion. So imagine <laughs> if your brain was, you know, shake your yeah. brain was bruised basically. Um, I also noticed Suing did not travel with them. So I'm curious. I guess he's probably just recovering, which makes sense. But I was just a notice, a, a thing I noticed. So then after that, they have, after this, it goes right to Duke, which is Tuesday. So that would be that would be about a week and a half in between concussion for Eugene Brown. So we'll see. He he might be back um, by Duke, but it's just hard to tell with those kinds of things. Um, the Florida game, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it because if we spend all this time previewing it, you know, by the time this episode comes out, uh, the game's already going to be played. Um, all I'll say is I, I think that Seton Hall is probably a more talented team than Florida. So this isn't like the NCAA tournament where it's like you win your Sweet Sixteen game. And then you go from playing like, you know, the eight seed to the two seed. Like you're not stepping up crazy amounts of talent. This Florida team is at best the same level as Seton Hall. The only problem is Colin Castleton. Um, They're going to utilize their center, Colin Castleton, a lot more than Seton Hall. You did. Seton Hall had had a big guy. They had a really tall center, but he's not nearly as talented as Florida will. So look for them to get Colin Castleton involved early. Try to get EJ Liddell and Kyle Young into some foul trouble. And then they have a couple of really experienced guards. Um, Appleby's a senior. And then um, I don't know if you remember Miriam Jones from Penn State. When everybody left Penn State, he transferred down to Florida. So they have a couple of experienced guards. Um, but I'm sure that their first line of attack is going to be get Colin Castleton involved, try to get Ohio State's big guys in foul trouble. Yeah, that'll be – yeah, you're exactly right. Seen Hall's uh, probably a deeper team, maybe a better team. But um, they don't have Kyle Castleton, who's averaging 18 and 10 on the year. Um, he's just – he's the best big man. Ohio. If, if, look, if they give up 14 to 14 to Jack Nungy, Colin Castle could do some damage on this team. I expect them to start the same roster they just did, maybe Michi for Malachi, but I do expect Brunk to start just to maybe try to get a big guy down there to throw Castleton off early. Or even if it's just the fact of they have to foul him a couple times, Brunk's getting those fouls and not Liddell or Kyle Young. Um so I definitely – Castleton is a guy who against this team, he can drop 20 and 15 kind of in the blink of an eye. So he's becoming one of the more talented players in the country, especially big men. So they – if I mean, but if they can limit him, they don't have much more outside of the three you mentioned. Uh, they're kind of a three-trick pony in terms of Jones, Appleby, and, and, uh, and Castleton. So, you know, this is another game where you just have to get up early, kind of maintain, play some good defense. You know, don't – Hack Colin Castleton every time he touches it, just play good defense. They look good against Ike Abiagu. I think that's how you say that. Um, who is a good player, but he, again, he's not Colin Castleton. So it'll it'll be very interesting to see. Like I said, as you listen to this, the game already would have happened. Um, but this is kind of a toss up, honestly. They're two very they're two talented teams, kind of on the same level, in my opinion. 
Uh, Seton Hall was 21 in the AP poll. I believe Florida is 23. So yeah. Ohio State will have a chance to pick up two ranked wins in, in, in 72 hours. Um, something that I'm noticing week. about what's, – what's that? Oh, yeah, with, with – with, uh, Yeah, they could pick up three in an in in eight-day stretch. They might not. Yeah, they- we'll see about that one. Um, before we before we jump on to Duke, the last thing I was going to point out, when you were talking about how they don't go much more than three deep, when you look at Florida's minutes, it's like it's a stark drop-off. So they have – Six guys who average at least twelve minutes a game. After that, pretty much everybody's ten minutes or fewer. Like guys that just come in to give those top six guys a breather, they go six deep. Ohio State yeah. has nine guys who have played at least twelve minutes per game or more. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who average twenty minutes or more. So, if they can get some some guys from Florida in foul trouble, if you get Castleton or Jones in foul trouble, you know once they go beyond their six man rotation, the guys below them play like seven minutes a game, eight minutes a game. Like these are not guys that are used to being in crunch time moments like that. I know it's early in the season; those numbers could increase, could be all kinds of things. But what I'm just looking at, just the raw minutes, is Florida goes six deep. That's that's it. Yeah, and Castleton only has six fouls in the season in the four games. But when you look at kind of who they've played, they've played Florida State, which, I mean, Florida State's a good team. They're a little bit kind of in flux right now. Some people, we don't really know exactly what Florida State is. But then from there, they just they haven't played any, anybody. They beat everybody by 30. Uh, they killed Cal. I think they beat them 80-60 to 60 in that game. It was close for a little bit. But the other game, they beat Elon by 13, and they beat Milwaukee by 60, basically, so 40. But um, they did kill Florida State, which that's a good win. But, um, you know, I, I think this Florida, Florida team hasn't quite been – I think Ohio State's the best team they've faced so far. So we'll see. Um, it'll be it'll be very fun to watch guys like Kyle Young go up against Castleton because, you know, obviously Young plays bigger than he is, and he's kind of the king of that. So it'll be – that'll be a very fun game, I think. Yeah, and, and Castleton's, he's, what, seven feet and about 230. So I don't want to say – Michigan transfer, by the way, for everybody out there. Former Michigan Wolverine that was stuck behind studs like uh, remember Mark Donnell at at Michigan and uh, trying to think of the other basically he got stuck behind some bums at Michigan so he got out of there and he's he's been then, a very yeah, good player. Well, also ticket yeah I, th- I think I was think last he year was his out. first year of Florida was he out before Dickinson came or I think, I think even was, Dickinson I think, signing Dickinson signing he was, yeah, he was out before Dickinson was there he was stuck behind some like pretty like shitty centers um he's a pretty solid player so i don't know i feel better about the florida game than i did about the seton hall game and it could just be because if ohio state loses the florida game it shouldn't be like a like oh the sky is falling kind of thing because you leave your four and two you split two games against ranked opponents that's not a disaster by any means um but i think they have a decent chance to win that game i do the only issue is is if you do lose and then you you lose to duke now you're looking at a four and three team you know, with two Big Ten games coming up, which is just insane. Granted, it's Wisconsin and Penn State. Wisconsin's look fantastic this week, though, by the way. So, you know, they're kind of in a weird fluctuation here to where they – and then Kentucky is three weeks down the road. So um, they, they do need to take, I think, of the Florida, Duke, Kentucky group, I think they got to take two of those. Um, and I don't know if we can guarantee that, man. Uh I'm not gonna guarantee it. I'm just saying. I think they. I think it would benefit them. Now, granted, the Big Ten is looking very sus early. So maybe some of these games that we had them losing in the Big Ten, 
you know, Illinois looks terrible, which you can do a victory lap for if you like, because you said they weren't going to be that great. Um, and you got heat for because Illinois fans keep, are absolutely psyched. I picked them to finish. I picked them to finish fifth and get like a four seed in the NCAA tournament. Like I well, think that's they're, what they're looking at. That's what they're looking at right now. But I mean, Illinois fans, you'd think you would have told them they were going to miss the tournament because those guys are psychotic. Um, but got a few. Maryland looks real, Kentucky. real shaky. Maryland looks really shaky. You know, even Michigan hasn't looked great. So there's some growing pains in the Big Ten right now. So Rutgers looks horrible. Penn State looks horrible. So that helps. Minnesota looks horrible. Northwestern looks horrible, and Purdue looks very, very, very good. Purdue looks like to me. Purdue the Purdue game, which that might be the only game. Um, Purdue has no weaknesses. I think that Purdue might be the only game on their whole schedule. It's going to be harder than Duke game. Yeah, I think that's, absolutely. I think that's the well, yeah, only I mean, that's game that's going to be hard. Um, yeah, yeah. Purdue is Purdue is absolutely. They have no weaknesses at all. I I mean I grew up. I, I grew up pulling for the Buckeyes. I grew up watching every single Ohio State basketball game I could get my eyes on. Obviously, I hope that they'll win that game. I do not think they're beating Duke. Um, not yeah, just like I, I if I was to bet, Duke's not even like just betting, but like you look at what they have on their roster, mate, that is going to be – that's just going to be brutal. And that game is already sold out. That is probably going to be the biggest home game in Columbus since – I mean, Michigan State. Remember what happened there? Well, that was a big game because of the result. Well, it was Maybe. the number one team in the country too. I'm I'm Michigan thinking about State. just like the hype around this with just Duke oh, being hype. Duke, just like Duke being Duke, the brand of Duke. Like how many months in advance they've been hyping up this game compared to hyping up that game? I'm I'm thinking like I don't even know. I can't even recall one. Maybe like when Ohio State played Illinois as the number one team 15 years ago, the Matt yes. Sylvester shot. I they won that I game. don't know it. It's going to be a huge, huge game, and I have a, a feeling that it's, it's the kind of game that could get out of hand for them. Just I don't think it'll game. get out of hand. I don't think Duke – all right. I mean, they beat Kentucky to start the season by eight. They looked really good. Then from there, they played Army, Campbell, Gardner-Webb, and Lafayette and Citadel. Um, you know, they haven't really played too many great teams. Also, Campbell, that was a 10-point game at home. So, you know, they play Gonzaga Friday. We're going to obviously learn a lot about them in that game. But I don't think it would get out of hand. The he, the two main matchups are going to be Trevor Kells against Jamari Wheeler. Can Wheeler slow down Trevor Kells? Um, and also, you know, what can Kyle Young and EJ Ledoux do to slow down Paolo Banchero? That's there. That's the two goals right there. Wendell Moore is kind of your do everything kind of guy, but he's probably he's averaging I think fifteen a game right now. But he's probably not going to go for that. Um, so you know, we're you just have to slow down Trevor Kells and Paolo Banchero who is probably going to be the number one pick in the draft next year. Um, if you can do that and you can score, they need to score early. This is not a game they're going to be able to come back from. If they get down by 10 at any point, things over. I'm comfortable saying that. But if they can just jump on them early, maybe Orange hits a couple threes, maybe Liddell gets going early. I mean, this, this is Liddell's game. You know, we've talked about how great he is. We've talked about, and he's proven that. He's done nothing to not prove that. He's looked fantastic this year. But this is that game where you can really get those NBA scouts going Okay, because there's going to be a lot in the crowd because they're there to watch Paolo Benchero and Trevor Kells and those guys and E.J. Liddell. So, you know, this is this game he needs to go in kind of licking his chops and going, all right, let me let me be the guy. And he's he's shown no hesitation of that so far, and I don't think he's going to – I don't think he's going to pick this game to do that. I think he's going to come out like a bat out of hell. So we'll see. Like I said, we'll learn a lot more about Duke on Friday because Gonzaga's looked as we expected. They've looked fantastic. So, um you know, I, I don't think we'll get a hand. I don't see them probably winning, 
I think they're going to struggle maybe to execute late in the game, but I, I think it'll be a close game, at least for most of the way. Duke is – yeah, I, I don't know, man. Duke, Duke is just – They're just so young, uh, so it's always hard to pin them down. That That is very true. Um, I just think that some of the individual matchups are going to be really tough. First of all, um, EJ Liddell is probably going to guard Paolo Banchero, which actually he said he wants his name pronounced Bancaro, the Italian pronunciation, but I don't think that's going to catch on. Um because he's so. he's like half Italian, so he's like it's Bancaro. But regard, he's he's six ten, two sixty. He like he's only shooting thirty one percent from three this year, um, but he's shooting fifty five percent from the floor overall. So he can shoot from distance if he needs to, which is always that's not fun when a guy that's almost seven feet can just pull up. Um, but he is an elite player. He's one of the most talented players in the country, and EJ oh, yeah. Liddell and him is going to be an absolute show. I, yeah, I don't know if Ohio right. State has a. I don't know if Ohio State has a single player on their roster that can guard him. I don't think no, there is. I, mean, one I don't person. think you try to shut him down. I, I you give him his twenty or twenty five. He's just one of those guys. He's going to get it. You know what I mean. You, you, but if you can shut down the role players of that, if you can have Jamari Wheeler really make life hard on Trevor Kells, and, and you throw another, in, you, you make if Eugene Brown plays, you throw Jimmy Sotos and Eugene Brown at Wendell Moore and make him make him play. Make his life make life hard on him, you know. Then you can start to 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 see where they can win this game. And I just don't think those. I personally, I don't think that's going to happen. You look at yeah. Trevor. You said try to get Jamari Wheeler to shut down Trevor Keels. Um, sure. Jamari Wheeler is a very good player, but if you want to look at just like the size difference, <laughs> Jamari Wheeler's six foot tall. He's six feet tall and he's one hundred and seventy pounds. Trevor Keels is a freshman, but he is six four, two hundred and twenty five pounds as a guard. Um, no, he's a big boy. I, I, I don't. Does he? Is he? Is he, I haven't. I don't. I've only caught Duke during the Kentucky game. He is their point guard, right? He brings. He is their point one. No, I think it's. Um, I think Roach is more their point guard. Um, oh, okay. I think it's his Jeremy Roach. I believe is his first yeah, name. So Jeremy I, Roach. But he's okay. like four assists a game. Keels is like three assists a game. Um, so they don't I don't know if you're gonna have like <laughs> you're not gonna have like one clear like floor general like Ohio State does, but. The, the matchups, especially with no justice suing and potentially no Eugene Brown, it's just it's concerning because if you look at the individual matchups, you got ben, Benchero and you have EJ Liddell. I don't think that EJ Liddell can limit him. You look at Keels on uh, Wheeler. I don't think Wheeler can probably stop him just because of the physical, how big he is. And then if Wheeler can't guard him, which of your guards do you try to put on him? Do you, you're not going to put Michi. You're not going to put Malachi Branham. Does that mean now you're depending on like Jimmy Sotos to stop him? Then who goes? You know, if if EJ Liddell is on Benchero, who draw, who who guards seven foot tall Mark Williams, the center, who's like not an elite player. He's like nine point six rebounds per game, but then who guards their seven foot center? You know, I just think that I just think that the individual matchups, if if the initial assignment doesn't work out, I don't know what your backup is. Yeah, this is going to be a huge game. That if you don't notice Justice Suing isn't there, then you're just not paying attention. Because suing is exactly what they need in this game, and um, and he's not going to play, and that that is going to kill them. I, I would love to see this Ohio State team at full strength against Duke, even with Seth Towns. Maybe you know, and it, with Trevor Kells being as big as he is, maybe you throw Eugene Brown at him. Eugene Brown's physical. You know, we we talked about the physical transformation him and Michi had made over the the course of the year. So you know, maybe you throw. I don't know if he's playing. We probably won't know until like Monday if he's playing, but uh, hopefully he's playing. Uh, and then you could throw Eugene Brown out there at him. It'll be interesting to see kind of maybe they, they'll probably play a lot of zone. Uh, Duke's not an amazing shooting team, so 
you know, maybe try to get them out of comfort there. Maybe try to force some turnovers. Um, you know, we'll see. Like you said, Mark Williams, is a, he's big, but he's not elite. So he's not Colin Castleton. So you can kind of maybe force the ball down low and hope he makes a couple of mistakes. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of how – I mean, Holman's a defensive – I mean, mastermind. So it'll be interesting to see how he can kind of throw different looks at them and, and really make them uncomfortable. That's how they win games is you make you, – you take what they're good at and you make them do something else. It's very simple. You take, and you take, also, take away their right arm. And you also can't – you can't discount the fact that it's a home game and Duke is true. every single year. Duke, their, their, their roster rolls over so much. You know, their top like – Basically, six guys in the rotation are all freshmen or sophomores. I think Joey Baker might be a junior, but he's like seven points per game. This yeah, is a lot of young players, and every single you know, every sophomore in college basketball didn't play in front of crowds as a freshman, so this is their first time playing in front of crowds. And obviously, freshmen, this is their first time playing in front of crowds. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be the most hostile environment that these guys have played in the champions classic doesn't count that was a neutral site game against kentucky you know they weren't playing at rup so even though the shot is not by any means a an aggressive nasty environment when it's sold out with nineteen thousand people who have been waiting for this game for months this is going to be the most raucous loud intimidating crowd that these duke these young duke players have played in so far so you also can't you you can't forget that either absolutely 100 percent. and this is that kind of when Chris Holtman goes out there to Canes and buys all these guys food and stuff, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to get people in the seats for games like this when they can. Nobody cares if they come to the Appalachian State game next week or whatever. If they play New Orleans like in two weeks or whatever, that's what I'm thinking of. But or Towson is what I'm thinking of. But anyway, um, we care if they come to these games, the Duke games, the games that they can actually affect these young guys. They can get in their heads. They can mess with them. You know, obviously Duke knows that better than anybody. Uh, so, you know, cause Cameron indoor stadium is basically a tent where they put you guys are literally on the floor. So, um, you know, that this is where that, that crowd has to make a difference. And you know, like I said, all you need to do is just put that little shadow doubt in their head and make it close. And I, I mean, look, I like this team when late games happen. I mean, they've, they're good in late game scenarios. They've executed. So well, I think if the Xavier game was a little closer earlier, they would have won that game too. So, um, It'll be interesting to see if this game gets close to three minutes left, who executes better down the stretch. Yeah, we'll certainly see. Um, I don't yeah, I don't I don't have a great feeling about it, but we'll see. It's not impossible. There have been Florida more Florida will teach us a lot too, I think, in my opinion. So I, I can't make a prediction yet. There there have been more shocking results. There have been more shocking results that I've seen, you know. Oh, I mean I saw I saw Mickey Mitchell I saw a team led by Mickey Mitchell and Austin Grandstaff beat top ten Kentucky a couple years ago. So, you know, it's true. once once that happens, you just put your hands in the air and you're like, all right, and anything can happen in this. Well, Ohio State just absolutely loves playing in that in that uh, in the CBS Sports Classic. They do fantastic in that. So that'll be that. That's another reason why like they should be. I think they can be Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky's been amazing so far this year. We'll, we'll get to that ship when it when it sets sail we're a little ways away from kentucky so we'll know a lot more about both of those teams by then um we are over 40 minutes we said we wouldn't do that we did anyways um so last thing the liars that uh last thing i'll put in here just because we're watching it right now your your st john's update are our st john's red storm are up by five points on st francis college who are oh and three this year they are number three 28 in Ken Palm, uh, St. John's, they trailed for most of this game. They are now up five with two minutes remaining. 
Um, Mike Anderson famously said there, there are no, no cupcakes in college basketball. And, and he was right. Apparently when your team stinks. Yeah, sure. Well, they're playing the uh, get off the stage music in our ears, which means it's time to wrap it up for the week. If you're finding us on the website, make sure to also subscribe wherever you get your podcast and music, Apple Music, Spotify, whatever you use. Um, the plan is to put out an episode every Thursday, barring some type of emergency. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on our podcast site at Bucketheads LGHL. Myself, Justin underscore Golba, and the website at Langerin33. Also, make sure if you are listening to us on any whatever streaming serve wherever you get your streaming services and your podcast to leave a five-star review um those are just nice and i'm pretty egotistical and i like that just let us know that we're not talking into a void that we're not talking into a black hole um we are on episode 16 and if folks like it and they're listening we will just keep right on trucking through the season um if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is at Lamons underscore Connor, L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving. Go Bucks! And I cannot emphasize this enough this week. Beat Michigan.